Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Oh! There it is. There it is. There it is. Baby. How's it going, dude? I had the best cherry pie earlier. I texted you about it. And you just, you you just played along. I really appreciated it. Yeah, I think you said apple, cherry, crumb, pie. Apple, cherry, crumb, pie. I won't what say precisely where I live. Actually, I may have already said it in this podcast. I'm not sure. But I live in the Southern California region. And somewhere in the Southern California region, there's a little town called Julian. And Julian, for those who don't, don't know, is a kind of r- uh, rural community uh, east of San Diego. And my God, if they do anything right there. The fucking pie, baby. Normally, I would just get apple pie there, but one of my roommates was going through there for work, and oh my god, okay. he picked up this cherry apple crumb pie. Lucas, I put it in the microwave. I took a bite. You I turned my roommate. Pie? I turned in my just for like ten minutes or not ten minutes, just <laughs> ten, ten seconds. Ten, sec- ten minutes to cook the thing, <laughs> just for ten seconds uh, to get get the juices flowing a little bit. Okay. I turned to my roommate. I look at him. I go. are are you a big pie guy i'm a big julian pie guy okay i actually will choose like cookies brownies cake almost every time but julian pie is phenomenal story uh moral of story if you're in southern california uh make a day trip to julian it's got great pie and some cool hiking spots too that's some good advice. Ooh, hiking yeah. and some pie. That is a really, really yeah. Good it's idea. a really nice area, and um, you even get snow sometimes in the winter. So, oh, interesting. Worth uh, worth checking out if that's your uh, cup of tea and don't want to make the trek up to uh, Big Bear. <laughs> you know, this episode is going to release in October in the middle of spooky season, and uh, I think that a lot of people are going to be eating pumpkin pie at that time. So, apple pumpkin pie. They can make it happen there. No way. Okay, I like I'm sure it. they're basically notorious. <laughs> they're they're notorious for their apples, is what it really is. Notorious uh, or famous for their apples? Notoriously famous. <laughs> <laughs> they got great, great apples over there. <laughs> Pie hey, aside, uh, CD Project. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That was some crazy opinion. news that came up today. Uh, lay, it, lay it down for me. Well, basically, CD Project Red um, is the game studio that's uh, very famous for their very big game, The Witcher 3. Uh, The Witcher 3, I don't think there's a single person on the planet at this point (laughs) that hasn't heard of the brand name The Witcher at this point. Um, Whether you're the book reader or the Netflix show watcher like my parents love The Witcher. Or you're just a gamer. Or you're a gamer. Huh? Have you watched it? I've never watched it. No, Mm. I have not watched it. But, um, you know, it was kind of slated to be like the new Game of Thrones after Game of Thrones ended. Um, But, yeah, The the Witcher is obviously a very huge, high-profile game, one of the biggest games ever. Uh, CD Projekt Red is the studio behind that, and CD Projekt Red has been making a video game called Cyberpunk 2077. Okay, famous starring... already for having Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Keanu Reeves, sorry, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, so Cyberpunk 2077 has been in development for quite some time. Another high-profile game that's been getting delayed and delayed and delayed over many years. Um, and CD Projekt Red, the st- the studio behind this game, uh, has just instituted crunch time for their employees, requiring them to work six days per week. They're probably already hitting, you know, 12 hour days or more crunching away at this game. And now they're going to be working, you know, 60 hour weeks. Let's just say more than that. What's the actual day that it's supposed to be coming out? Do we know? 
Um, the day that uh, Cyberpunk 77 is supposed to be coming out is, I think it just says 2020. They must be getting pretty close to a formal release date. Yeah. It's just crazy because I know, like, this game's gotten pushed back several times. And I know part of the reason it keeps getting pushed is because one of the things they said is that they didn't want to feed into, like, this crunch time of um, yeah. forcing now- their employees to work like this. because. The game, the the game industry, and these game studios and these game dev companies—they're very notorious for having these crazy crunch times and having these crazy burnouts and like not compensating yeah. fairly for it. Like one of the biggest things going on, for example, at um, Telltale uh, before they went underwater and basically just literally ran out of money, was that <laughs> their employees were working crazy crunch times and I'm getting paid for it because they didn't have the money. Um, so it's just like this Man. kind of this um this crazy like plague that's just always enduring through the gaming community it seems like in the game dev studios yeah and honestly i mean uh this this is a fair work podcast this is an anti-hustle culture podcast <laughs> yeah sure um and yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're very yeah. much against the hustle culture mentality you know we're, work 80 hours a week and you will succeed it's, you will get uh, strictly eight hours of me a day at most <laughs> at work. i'm not we're not saying don't work hard we're not saying don't put in the hours you need to put in to, to do your job but, but make sure you get compensated um, fairly for the work you do yeah and you know it's it's really sad to see um like a game studio really be forced to go into crunch time for one thing i'm not sure if their time has been mismanaged we all know that game development is a very very difficult thing but man i mean six days a week for their employees and they're already probably putting down many many hours above eight per week per day oh absolutely you know and and easily 10 hour days especially right now this was a big story that came out yesterday and you know i actually came across it like on the front page of reddit on a few different subreddits people were actually defending cd project red for this decision um, and I, I believe it's purely because people are big fanboys of The Witcher 3 and they're like jumping on the Cyberpunk 2077 hype train. And they're just like, oh, yeah, like this is the way it should be. Like, we know I deserve this game. And I like I, I, I think that's like I'm just not a fan of that mentality for the gaming community where like we feel that we deserve this game. Yeah, we, we don't deserve this game if it's going to put people in a, in a bad situation where they got to work you know 80 hour weeks i don't want the game to come out on time if it means that I'll yeah and it kind of it kind of becomes this thing of like it almost kind of goes back to our standing parable podcast where it's like oh we own this content you owe it to us type of thing you know yeah um and it's like this mentality of like we deserve this this is our um content it's almost like the like the rick and morty fan base i feel like yeah where they're like this <laughs> Very... so toxic because they feel like they're so ingrained into this crazy, oh, granted, like phenomenal um, IP and phenomenal universe that they've made over there. But it's just like it creates this toxic thing of like giving them this kind of false sense of ownership and entitlement surrounding the media. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why Matt and I did not play a AAA game this time around. Instead, we decided to play one of the coolest indie gems in the last 10 years. Matt. Yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> Matt, what do we play? Today, we are discussing the number one supernatural coming of age teen angst story. <gasps> da, da, da. Oxen free. Hang on, hang on. I got this. Ready? Oh. He did it. He really did it. He said, I'm, I'm up in production. <laughs> 
one of, one of the uh, famous songs from the original soundtrack of Oxenfree, which is also very well known for its awesome soundtrack, the beach music. Absolutely. So uh, before we, we, we dive into this game, I want to give a quick synopsis of everything so you all have a wonderful and well-defined picture of what we're talking about here today. Spoilers ahead. So, on October 25th, 1943, the USS Kanaloa, a submarine with an experimental nuclear core, sends out a distress signal, which is picked up by Maggie Adler, an Army comm officer on duty on Edwards Island. Maggie mistakes this as an attempt to jam radar, which leads her to follow protocol and signaling for surrounding ships to scout and bomb if needed. Given the experimental nature of the Kanaloa, fewer ships were aware of its existence and most would not recognize it. Upon responding, the USS Walter Roy fires upon and sinks the USS Kanaloa and seemingly kills its 85 crew members. Fast forward to the present day where our main character Alex, <coughs> excuse me, where our main character Alex, joined by Jonas, her new stepbrother, Ren, her stoner best friend, Nona, Ren's crush, and Clarissa, Alex's deceased brother and his ex-girlfriend. Excuse me, Alex's his deceased brother's, brother's ex ex-girlfriend. Girlfriend. Well, girlfriend. <laughs> Lots to unpack there. Maybe. I don't know if they necessarily broke up, you know? Oh. Yeah. Up for debate. Wow, hot take. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> kind of depends. Uh, we can get into that. Head to Edwards, uh, and they head to Edward I- Edwards Island for a beach party. Upon arriving, Alex and Jonix explore the caves on the island and using a, a pocket radio, they tune into a mysterious signal that causes the group to black out and wake up on different parts of the island. Over the course of the night, the group explores the island, battles ghostly possessions, and discovers that they are trapped in a time loop and learn about the fate of the members of the USS Kanaloa and that the members are actually members of the crew are actually the spiritual remnants that have been haunting them the whole night. Alex ultimately sacrifices herself or Clarissa, depending on what you choose, in an attempt to save her friends and stop the time loop. Depending on the dialogue choices the player makes throughout the story, Alex's relationships with the characters are changed in the ending. Once Alex finishes her epilogue of the story, the dialogue glitches and it is revealed that Alex is still stuck in the timeline, in the time loop, excuse me, doomed to repeat the night on Edward Islands for all eternity. eternity. Now, should the player choose to tackle the time loop again, they are given the opportunity to enter a new game plus mode where they have a chance of getting the, quote, true ending to save a version of Alex by sending a message to the past, keeping that version from Alex from ever entering the time loop and stopping the uh, cycle. Mm-hmm. Before well, it even began. Before it even begins. Mm-hmm. While still sacrificing herself because she still is stuck. Our Alex is stuck in that time loop. Wow, 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 wow. wow. What a game. Um, I love this game, personally. <laughs> yeah. I, I love games that are very story-driven and really do give you that kind of sense of your choices do sincerely give you the opportunity to shape the story. Because I think a lot of games kind of give you the illusion of a choice. I think this is even common in Telltale games where... It's like, yeah, you'll have different dialogue options throughout the game and stuff, and you'll have different opportunities to kind of um, try and influence the story. But it ultimately comes down to like one moment in the end of the game where it's like, shoot this person or don't shoot them. And that's really the only choice that matters. Whereas in this game, there's not really any cutscenes like that, you know? It's just one fluid game where your dialogue is really the main mechanic, choosing your dialogue. 
and those choices you make influence these relationships and it's just phenomenal game i love it lucas first thoughts Go. I'm clearly biased already, but I just yeah, really yeah. like this game. So, so I've I've known about this game for a very long time, pretty much since it came out. Um, Oxenfree came out in uh, 2016. Um, we've already done a game from 2016, which was Titanfall 2. Yep. Um, it came out, that, that 2016 was the year, it was a big year. It was the year of Overwatch. It was the year of The Witness, Firewatch. Um, it was the year of Inside. Uh, it was it was a pretty big year for for some pretty great video games, and Oxenfree was probably the smallest of all the games that I mentioned, um, and one of the most interesting for sure. And um, it's also kind of in its own very niche genre, where it's really just a walkie talkie story driven game. It's a walk and talk game. It's a walk and talk game. That's yeah. what even that's what even the, the leads on the the game actually said. The leads of uh, the studio. It's a walkie talkie, interesting teenage coming of age game. Um, and honestly, I think, um, Matt, you definitely liked it more than I liked it. Um, and I, I understand this, this game has a very dedicated, uh, following of fans. And, and over the years, I've always been told to play this game, especially by you, Matt, you've actually mentioned it several times. I've, yeah, no, I have before <laughs> um, we even has, talked about making a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It has a nine out of 10 on steam. Um, it's always been in the backlog for me. And I, I, I know that it's, it's got great, great critical success and, and it has some commercial success too, because the studio has gone on to make a couple more games afterwards, which I, I do want to talk about a little bit more later. Um, but for me, there was a lot of things about the game that kind of fell a little bit flat. Um, and I think it mostly has to do with, um, and I get it, this is just the nature of these kind of games, but it has yeah. to do with not playing the game as much as you're watching the game um, and not having that much of a degree of control over what's going on. I mean, I get it, you're making dialogue choices and impacting people, but I, I just didn't feel so much for the characters for my choices to really feel like they were really making an impact. Um, and that's probably me being cynical, you know, or <laughs> me not being empathetic enough to these people. But um, yeah, that's kind of my initial thoughts is like, this was really cool. This was an interesting story. And there are some moments that really grabbed me. But by and large, I don't think I loved it as much as you. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely like, it's not going to be, I, I recognize that this is probably against a very niche audience. You know, it's not going to be for everyone. But I think what the game does do well, it really excels in, like, in my opinion, it excels in storytelling um, and things of that nature, which we're getting into. But I did want to kind of touch base a little bit on some of the accolades. Um, so it didn't win any crazy big awards in its launch year in 2016, but it did win the Excellence in Visual Arts Award uh, during the Independent Game Festivals um, as That's well. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, and it was actually nominated at the Golden uh, Joystick Awards in 2016 for Best Indie Game, only losing That's out great. to uh, Firewatch, which is another really good uh, kind of walkie-talkie story, like walking simulator game, basically. Yeah. Um, and I was also nominated for best storytelling, <laughs> losing out to The Witcher. Go figure. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. Like oh. I haven't played The Witcher, so I can't comment on that. I think it's probably oh. a little upsetting, but uh, we we can get into that. Uh, I could just tell you that The Witcher later. is not as overhyped. No, it's not overhyped. Okay, I. Just quick aside, I, I've tried tried to play The Witcher on two different occasions, and I could not get through it. And one of them was during really? quarant one of them was during quarantine, uh, <laughs> at the very start, which would have been the perfect time to play The Witcher in like March or April of this year. And I don't know, um, it's not really a Lucas game, I think. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, and we can uh, we'll play The Witcher one day on this podcast and get a full full run through of it, but uh, that's for another time. 
Yes, I want to touch a little bit about the developers. I'm um, talking about them a little bit. So, the uh, the development studio, Night School Studios, was founded by two cousins, Adam Hines and Sean Crankle. Cool dudes. Cool Very dudes. cool. I actually have their their LinkedIn's uh, pulled up here. <laughs> and so, Sean Crankle is actually a Disney veteran. Uh, working there for a while, being a director, creative director, and game designer on a variety of games with Disney, um, where Adam, his cousin, came actually from Telltale, serving as a lead writer uh, for about a year and a half, working on one of my favorite Telltale games personally, and kind of the game that got me into this, um, you know, drive your, uh, create your own story, build your own adventure type of uh, genre that like these games that Telltale, like Oxenfree are, uh, which was Wolf, The Wolf Among Us. Which, in my opinion, I've never, was never played it. Very, even if like maybe at the end of the day, not like I was kind of mentioning earlier, some of these games or choices don't matter that much. I just love the story it told and it had like fun, quick time events and super, super great game. But the point is, these two guys are like have worked for very big companies in storytelling um, enough to be able to really understand the genre and how it's built and what goes into it. And they kind of came together, you know, and they realized like, hey, let's create a game that has a truly branching narrative. And instead of creating, you know, um, you know, fun gameplay and then attaching a story to it, what they focused on was creating gameplay that would support the story they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Which, fan or not of this game, I think they achieved that I, I agree. beautifully. I completely Chef's agree. Chef's kiss, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, I, I agree with that. Sorry, just to go off that real quick. Like, yes, I'm not, I'm not like putting the game down for that. I just think like the story is really clever in the first place. I think it's got like a cool setup. It actually has a cool setting. It takes place kind of where I grew up in the Willamette Valley of Oregon in the Northwest. Um, That was a little cool surprise. They actually explicitly say Willamette Valley. I feel like that's just like the perfect setting for like edgy, like angsty. Yeah. Yeah. And literally Nona looks like some girl I went to high school. She looks like 20 girls I went to high school with. (laughs) It's like the typical, Um, like artsy girl. And Jonas. I won't get this a little bit, but they fit the tropes. Everyone fits tropes. Yeah. Everyone fits the tropes. Yeah. Alex, I know girls that were like Alex. I knew a Jonas, you know, and I I think, I don't know how they knew that this is what the Pacific Northwest teenage life looked like, but that's what it looks like. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that what's cool too, is that the story is really solid. And then, it warrants second playthroughs and new decisions being made because you are stuck in a time loop. So it's like the actual overarching idea of the story actually creates repeatable gameplay within the actual story. It's not like a new game plus where you just replay it for the sake of replaying it. You actually replay it within the narrative itself yeah and you're, you're just another alex that's going yeah, through but that, you're still within your timeline exactly yes yeah. so that new yeah. game plus mode the only way you can really complete the story in my opinion is by playing that and that's what always blew me away about this game was i you know i've played some games before that have new game plus modes even something like kingdom hearts has like final mixes and stuff you know like those <laughs> have, they've never really had that much content that actually adds to the story but to get the full story you have to play the game again and right uh, I don't know about you, but I read online a lot of reviews and a lot of other people felt this way and myself included. The second I finished the game and it's kind of left on that cliffhanger of like, oh shit, she's still stuck in the loop. I instantly just started my next timeline. I'm like, okay, I got to go again and I got to go again and you know, yeah. got to figure this out. And ultimately, no matter what, your Alex is still stuck in that timeline, you know? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, she has to live with the choices she makes and she's still stuck in that loop. And really all you're saving is just that other Alex. And I just well, think it's... You Crazy live story. with the choices you make. 
that's what's cool because you're, yeah. you're the player you're making the choices that alex makes you know so you're you, you you live with them and there's no like real super happy ending because someone always gets sacrificed in some sort of way you just have Someone's, to make alex this. is getting screwed a version of alex is getting, getting screwed, screwed no in every what. timeline and a version of clarissa is potentially <laughs> getting possessed getting and taking yeah. over in every uh timeline um, yeah yeah crazy game and a little bit too just kind of the tones they set and the genres they really did want to make this sort of supernatural and kind of scary game with scary elements without it being outright horror which i think they did so well because i remember you were we were talking one night um while we were both playing the game and you were mentioning how like yeah it has some good like spooky moments but it's not like outright scary like it would maybe yeah. spook me out a little bit more when i was younger i think it strikes that balance perfectly of having some moments that i was like ooh, that's a little bit that kind of caught me off guard type of thing yeah but nothing to be like um like a horror movie or like uh like amnesia or something like that would probably be where it has like outright yeah. scares and goes for that by design it's yeah. more of just to kind of set the tone of something's not right here and i think it does that so well and i, I love it i, I love it <laughs> um, yeah. and yeah it's influenced by you know coming of age stories too by things like stand by me and things Greenies. of that nature um, but also poltergeist <laughs> poltergeist yeah yeah and i think that uh that definitely uh shows through here which is yeah. really cool yeah um so for you matt when did it when did it really click like do you remember when you first i remember really i, I want to say immediately because um I, I first played this game years ago like i think the year it came out in 2016 and i just remember being so immediately entranced with it um and like i just wanted to keep playing and keep going um but this time uh in my more recent memories the time that really started clicking with me again you know is the first scene when you get to the beach and you're just kind of chatting with everyone because that's when you really kind of start to understand the mechanics of tuning into the radio of yep. um the realization that oh there's not actually really any cutscenes. it's just continuous fluid gameplay and it just really um sets the tone very well in that initial i won't call it a scene but that initial oh yeah that initial set scene. piece set, set piece, piece scene, yeah. whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah. um and just it's so it's so fun too because like the these so early on established so many just like stereotypical tropes like alex is clearly like kind of the edgy tomboy girl known as like the artsy um maybe yeah. kind of quiet girl clarissa is clearly like the high school bitch that's hot <laughs> God, <laughs> supposed I, hate to be hot. I hate clarissa um, jonas is like kind of the new guy that's uncomfortable probably a little yeah. bit tries to be edgy too it's yeah like one of the first Ren's things like... he does is like offer cigarettes and stuff and then Ren's yep. just like the goofy stone friend. Yeah. Um, and I, but I think it's good because I don't think the tropes necessarily overshadow like the story it's trying to tell. It just kind of, it almost adds a nice level of familiarity that makes you comfortable as a player. I feel like. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. With that. Like I said, I knew, I knew, I knew a lot of Alex's and Nona's and Jonah's up in Oregon when I, when I grew up there. Um, but for me, I think when it clicked, um, actually it was a little bit later than when it clicked for you. Um, it actually took quite a bit of time for me to click with this game. Did it click? Um, it did. No, it did. <laughs> no, it did. It did. This game really did click for me. Um, it took quite a bit of time. <laughs> it took quite a bit of time. Um, when I was playing it, I just felt like for me, I always think like, I, I don't know if it's like the games I was raised on, like kind of Super Nintendo era, like platforming games, um, Mega Man X and Super Mario World and things like that. When I play a game, I my first thing is like, okay, how do I move? Like, 
okay, what's, what's like the jump button? What's like the move, like left and right button, you know, like, I don't know. I always am thinking about like, how do I get from point A to point B? And I think that's very much ingrained in me. Um, And when I was first starting out, I just felt sluggish. Like I just felt like I wasn't able to do anything in Oxenfree until, until like when you, when you, at least for me, until I started like really sitting in my seat and letting it sink in and just let it unfold and, and really treat it like I was watching a TV show or a movie. Um, and just kind of going into it, that's when it started to click. And that happened to line up with a specific moment where the story actually starts really going from zero to 100. I mean, in the cave, when when Alex tunes into the radio stations that actually activate the whole night and separate everybody. After that, you go to a comms tower and you have a, your first major choice in the game, which is either going to save Ren, um, your childhood best friend, or Clarissa, like Matt said, the uh, the girl that we don't like, but um, they do try and give you some incentive because she does seem to have like incentive to go to her first because she does seem to have like the better way to get off the island is kind of yeah what you play it off as yeah exactly uh, well a- after you choose who you go save I chose to go save Ren because I Ren's my friend you know yeah. so I went to go save Ren and you're walking through the forest with Jonas Alex and Jonas are doing it and you come across your very first kind of time loop sequence um, and that was really really cool to me how like. Jonas keeps asking the same question over and over again, and you keep teleporting back to the right side. And yeah, he just yeah, says yeah. like, oh, so you used to come here a lot when you were a kid. And then you realize that you're stuck in this little miniature time loop and you kick a ball and the ghost kick the ball back to you. And there's just this really scary unease that happens. And the game, um, I'm gonna talk about the art a little bit more later, but I wasn't the biggest fan of the art either, but I think the editing and sound design on the game was like a 10 out of 10. And there were parts where like time would loop or you'd get like a radio interruption signal and and like stuff would just happen. Yeah, I like had, lived had for so many moments. good moments too where like yeah, I would have like that kind of poltergeisty um, like static show up on screen, like another image would quickly flash or you'd see like the kind that of demonic awesome. red eyes that would show up and it's just... It, it did a great job of creating kind of a consistent feeling of unease. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's when I first felt it was in that part. I was like actually spooked. I was actually like, oh, shit, I'm in a, I'm in a time loop. Like, how do I get out of this thing? And then like you actually do end up seeing yourself in a reflection in the water. And you eventually come full circle. This ties in with my favorite moment pick of the game, um, which I'll talk, which I'll elaborate on later. But you see yourself in the reflection of the water and you actually make a choice as an alternate version of yourself during that moment, um, which you're not quite sure what it means yet until the very end. Um, so they plant that seed right there. And I, I really enjoyed that personally. So yeah. that was when it really clicked for me. That's when I was like, okay, let me sink in and let me just play the rest of this game. And I think I pretty much went like during that session, I was playing it at night. I think I played like another two hours and pretty much got to the end after that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. The things it does do well, it does it does very, very, very well. Very yeah. well. What um, do you think overall then on um, just game design in general? So it's so interesting. It's kind of like we touched on. It only so the game only has three mechanics: you tune a radio. Yep. You walk, and you pick dialogue. Yeah. And you maybe examine some items. So kind of four, I guess. Fuck. The game has four <laughs> mechanics. I just yeah, the game has four mechanics, and they're very rudimentary. Um, and it's very rudimentary, and that's kind of what... But that's what they were going for, you know? The whole thing was 
they wanted to create a game where the storytelling was the device. And I kind of think we touched on this a little bit in our Stanley Parable podcast, or maybe the Beginner's Guide, one of them, where the storytelling is the gameplay itself. Or itself. Um, and what these guys wanted to do, because whereas storytelling is usually, you know, like the thrust for interacting with other mechanics, the, instead they drill down far enough to where the story becomes the driving mechanic, which yeah. is um, awesome. And to give you guys an idea of like how deep this story is and kind of how in depth it is and how it really does outshine these like telltales and games like that. Um, so this, uh, again, as I mentioned, I think it was Adam, Adam was the one that worked out telltale before this worked in Wolf Among Us. And the way they would typically measure their games, like dialogue is just by lines or then script pages necessarily. And a tell game, telltale game, excuse me, would typically have about 2000 lines. Whereas Oxenfree had 12,000 lines. So literally six times as much as the God. typical, um, game. Right. And they yeah. even had bigger ideas they wanted to do as well. They mentioned in an interview I listened to, but they just realized like, we don't really have a big like studio to make it as big as we want, so we have to kind of scale it down a little bit. We can't have the dialogue branch out quite as much as we want. So they even had more ideas they wanted to bring in, right? Which is just incredible. And all in all, um, even the the script was twelve hundred pages. That's huge. Yeah, that, that is, is nutty. That is that is uh, quite impressive for them to actually just write that much content. Yeah, and just yeah, like I mentioned, the this. I think the reason that kind of made me fall in love with this game and kind of always gives it such a soft spot for me is this was the first time I felt like the choices and my dialogue choices and the things I was doing really did affect the ending and like the character fates and stuff because for example with like Telltale games like there'll usually be a moment kind of like I mentioned earlier where it's like shoot this person or don't and yeah then something like that um, <laughs> That's it. whereas like before that it has kind of a myriad of like possible um, yeah of like kind of fake choices I guess you could call it yeah. Um, but in Oxenfree, every choice in the dialogue matters. Um, and to give you an idea of how many ultimate like options there are once the game ends, about how many different possibilities. So based off the choices you make with your dialogue, there's basically eight main um, things that can be changed, like eight different relationships and like pairings of people dating or something like that. And then within those, when you multiply everything together, there's ultimately 146 different possible ways Oh really? This game could end. That's huge. Different I thought there was just the eight. I thought there was just the eight. Then that's really crazy. Well, within oh, eight, the eight, eight when you like, match them differently. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So, so there's that many different ways of like different endings you could get of different combinations, which is just incredible to me. Yeah, um, that is actually really that is really cool. Then that's that's very that's a lot of depth. So I just got one of 120. Eight, 146. 146. I was, I was yeah. way out. <laughs> 140. Out of 146 permutations, I got one or two, and um, that was that was what I had to live with. That's really interesting, actually. Then, um, see, I, I I think like that that makes me feel a little bit weird as a gamer, right? Because there's all this extra information that I have to know about to kind of feel differently about the way I finish my game. Because I beat it. I thought there was only like eight different outcomes, really. But you tell right. me there's 146 permutations. That changes my perception of my ending. Where I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, well, <laughs> did my ending suck? <laughs> or like, <laughs> did, what, could it have been better? Or Well, it's kind of cool, too, because it kind of gives you an idea of like maybe you did or didn't make the wrong choice because it'll show you the percentages of who picked something else. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is really cool. And then if you're like in the section like 
six percent like oh maybe i'm a freak or something you know yeah, like yeah, maybe i'm a fucking um, asshole but yeah it's, it's so i just love that it gives you that lets you express yourself so much because like i mentioned this is just one of the games that I, in my opinion really did this well and really did give you that choice the only other game i've played recently that i think really does kind of give you choice well was detroit become human which came out like 2018 by quantic dream which is the people that make like um like heavy rain and mm-hmm. i think something soul is another one beyond two souls heavy, yeah heavy rain and beyond two souls and they made detroit detroit become human which was a very as well a very good game in my opinion because clearly my genre that i like is very yeah yeah you do hey we're, we discovered um, we struck on the matthew genres yeah so, I lo- i'm, I'm uh, I, I you know i loved those books growing up the goosebumps where you could like turn to page you do this. Yeah. yeah i love those. I, um, you die every single choice that you make yeah, yeah, yeah. you hold your <laughs> finger in so you have to go back to where you didn't die <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I know that's, that's over cool. here too. Um, cool. And I kind of had, before we go any further into designs, I had a kind of a theme I wanted to run by you that I picked up on the video essays that kind of resonated with me interestingly. Um, so before I dig into it, what do you think about the idea that the game is about guilt? Yeah, okay. I, I saw that. I saw that take. Um, and I, I think I like that take. Um, but I'm not sure if I felt guilt when I played the game um, as a player. I, I know that Alex feels guilty and I know that guilt is like a common theme throughout the game um, with a lot of the different characters. And ultimately, you do, you're, you're, the character of Alex feels some sort of guilt because you have to sacrifice somebody. Yeah, yeah. You have to sacrifice Carissa, Clarissa, or your brother. Your brother's dead in every like ending that you get. Well, yeah, and going people. beyond that too, like the whole... It- the game, um, if you if you like read through all the Adler letters, which is like these extra collectibles that can also actually give you kind of a unique ending towards the end of the game. Yeah. Um, that can kind of like save, in theory, save both you and Clarissa. Um, if you get to basically know Maggie Adler enough through the her these letters she left throughout the 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 game map, mm-hmm. um, you basically get dialogue options when you're in the final rift uh, confronting the ghosts that will allow you to basically convince them to let you go and let Clarissa go yeah. too. Uh, anyways, but you kind of learn through these letters that, you know, Maggie had a friend, Anna, and originally they are the ones trying to kind of fix the things for these, uh, the remnants, the ghosts that are kind of stuck in this purgatory because, you know, Maggie ultimately, it was in a way her fault because she it basically was. made a mistake as a comms officer. While she did follow protocol, she did make a mistake that led to the death of, you know, 85 crew members. And ultimately, you know, Maggie and Anna are trying to explore things. And ultimately, her friend Anna gets basically taken hostage akin to what's happening to uh, Clarissa. And she feels like this crazy guilt over that. She feels this crazy guilt over um, uh, over what she did to the, the USS Kanaloa. And yeah. it's just like this compounding guilt. And then Alex is kind of going through a similar thing where, you know, she had this has this guilt of... Where obviously, you know, we don't really ever get a clear picture of what happened, but it's kind of implied that the way that her brother died was, you know, they went her out fault. swimming uh, for one final time because he was going to be moving away. And they went out swimming one final time together. And then something happened in the water where Michael starts to drown. And then Alex is so petrified, she can't go and save him out of fear. And she's just like clinging to safety. And she basically just watches her brother drown. Right. And so she's carrying that guilt throughout her the whole game. And it's made very apparent that she does kind of feel guilty about it. Based exactly. off the dialogue that is revealed as the story goes on. Um, yeah. So it's and, just, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Uh, it's just kind of like the take this video essay I watched that kind of really dug into this was that people should feel guilt. You know, it, it's okay to move past it. And by moving past it and understanding the journey that Maggie went through, she's able to kind of see past the faults, kind of focus on, you know, what's immediately in front of her and kind of make the decision and form together to make the choice of, okay, this is a situation I'm in. Here's what I can do to save a previous me and stop all this from happening and yeah. kind of accept what she's done type of thing. Um, and I thought that was an interesting take. I'm not sure that I buy the guilt take as by the guilt affecting her deciding to save her previous self as much. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that's an interesting angle to look at it. And I hadn't noticed the kind of parallels between her and Maggie before that. Because yeah. honestly, the first time I played this game, I didn't even know about the Adler letters. I just missed them all. Um, <laughs> so that was a cool thing to find out. And kind of, again, going to how much I love this game, like that extra dialogue choice, I got that on my very final playthrough. I didn't even know that was a possibility. And uh, here I am playing this game four years after I first played it. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, I think, the, yeah, uh, just, just to finish off on that guilt thing. Um, I, I think that the story can be viewed as a story of guilt because it's established very early that Alex is guilty. Not guilty, but she feels guilty about the death of her brother drowning before the game actually kicks off. And you actually do see your brother at some point by the game sending you back in time and you having dialogue choices with your brother when he was alive. And there is a tinge of like guilty, nostalgic feelings where I am thinking, oh my God, how do I save my brother and like get him to not do what he did? Right. And it basically gives you the time. option to kind of like, you Steer have to him. decide. All right. It's yeah. almost like, are you willing to embrace what you did and accept the guilt and move past it and accept the fact that you let him die and maintain the future as it should be? Or yeah. can you not move past that guilt and exactly. are you try and fix it and remedy your mistake? And so now, you don't have that to begin with. That being said, I did. There was no point where I personally, as a player, felt guilt. Um, I think that the characters did for sure, and that's kind of like very, very apparent and everything. But there was no. I, I, maybe if I had more choices or like just straight up sacrifice Clarissa, I think I got a pretty happy ending my first playthrough, um, where I found an Adler letter that gave me a dialogue choice to let the go have the ghost let me go free, but I still. So I got to save Clarissa. I, I got to go free as well. And um, I still was stuck in the time loop. So it wasn't the worst ending. So I didn't feel bad for what I did and the choices that I made because I feel like I made pretty decent choices. But again, I think one of the things that I struggle to, that I struggle with is the fact that I don't know what, what my ending is compared to other endings innately. I have to look those up. Like I have to play through the game and get 120 whatever permutation. Or 146. Well, you can't do though. It gives you like the percentage pinwheel of like the other choices. Yeah, but that, that's so abstract. I, I don't really know how. I I don't I don't I personally can't gauge if my choices were the right choices because I don't know what the alternatives were. And that's just the nature of a game. Well, like that's just this. the thing though. Is there's not a right choice. It's just a choice. See, then how can there be guilt? I'm not following. Okay, I guess what I'm saying is like. It, oftentimes we know what we should have done I, wait, when we feel up. guilty. What, we, when there we can feel be guilt guilty. from the 
the play or from the the guilt should be felt by Alex, but you're saying how can you feel guilt as the player? how can I feel guilt as a player when I don't know what the right choice was? I think for the feeling of guilt. Well, I think that's regret, the point is that there is no right choice, and you have to accept the guilt that comes with whatever choices you make. Like for example, if you choose to be more affectionate toward Jonas during the story, and then instead that kind of ostracizes you from Ren, and then you end up getting the storyline where Ren kind of says, "Hey, Alex, I don't really feel like we're that great of friends anymore," and then you see that he ends up hating you. I think that's part of the guilt that it's trying to say you need to accept oh um, see so i didn't get that i didn't get cool. that ending <laughs> that's what i'm saying that's the that's like the i i think one well and you can possibly get the quote-unquote perfect ending right and that's yeah it too um, I'm, I'm just saying that's a challenge as a game designer like for for them to tr for me to try and feel what what they meant for me to feel at any given time because i didn't get that like if i got that i probably would have been like oh shit well ren don't be mad at me man like you're chill like i like you you're cool but yeah. i didn't get that ending so I didn't get that dialogue choice. Okay, so I can't feel that. That's my that's my take. Okay, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So well, well, you got like the perfect we... ending. No one hated you. And you no, no, one, no, dude. I had a I had a good ending. I legit uh, the, play the like first a fucking play. fairy. <laughs> <laughs> I was nice to everyone the whole time, and I didn't sacrifice Clarissa. I didn't sacrifice myself, and I happened to have a letter where I mentioned a name, name. where I found out the yeah, name yeah. of a person. That's what, yeah, that's why I, I mentioned got this time yeah, around. I mentioned that name, and they just let me go free, and I was like, oh, that's the game. I guess if I got a, I got the ending where I had to sacrifice. Clarissa, but then the I time loop still starts. Yeah, but then I'm just like, okay, well. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. I think part of it. I mean, yeah. If you get the perfect, perfect ending, I can understand where you're coming from then. Um, but I think it still tries to get you to empathize with the guilt, the guilt that like Alex has, and if you get either all the way, notes, the brother died. Either way, Michael either way, the died. The brother died. Yeah. You could have <laughs> saved him. There, that's your guilt. You didn't save. No, him. I didn't know that I could save him though. How do you That's... not realize that? It's like there's like three <laughs> points throughout the game where it's like, tell Alex not to leave. Tell Alex, and then, there's literally like a flashback at the end where you can tell him to not leave, and you know that'll save him I, because I, the I know inciting I incident. What? I, I maybe I was confused on the very uh, the nature of the setup of how he drowned. I think I fucked up. <laughs> I fucked. Hey man, he was dead already, so it's on you. It's on you. <laughs> okay, uh, we gotta move right, on. We moving gotta, on. We gotta move on. Moving on. <laughs> Art style. Go. Lay it on me, sister. Yeah. Okay, I'm lukewarm on the art style as well. I love the art style. Okay. <laughs> Let me just give my take. I'm going to just give my take and you can give your take. It's really hot. The AC is broken in my place. So. I know. <laughs> I'm not I a think... fan on because it makes so much noise. <laughs> I think the art oh, is God. just a little <laughs> bit underwhelming when looked at up close. Okay, like every time I saw a photograph, I was very like I, I felt nothing. Or like I had, I, I kind of thought like, oh, they don't, the characters don't look that well designed. And I don't know, I, I don't want to sound like a hater. I do, I, I realize this, but like, it just seems like unstylistic kind of teenage art, except for the environments. I will give it that. The environments like, were awesome. I read that they were trying to create like these dark organic elements where the setting really contrasted with the supernatural elements that would kind of randomly yeah, like poltergeist in and that was awesome that was See, really cool. i actually i that think the art played into the game design really well which i think is why i liked it because i think if you were playing something that had like really good graphics and then you know you don't you would more so expect to be in cutscenes, whereas it's almost like playing a comic book strip whereas it's always moving and like if it was really fleshed out art i don't think that would work as well with the fluidity of it um and i personally just really like the kind of like 2.5d uh, I guess art style that it has, um, and yeah, the ghosts and the random splits that it does is great. Which accompanying those kind of ghosts and random splits would be the sound design, 
which was right. obviously juicy. Um, yeah, I and love. I know you okay, got some yeah. stuff you wanted to share with the sound design. So yeah, what's what, some... that? With sound design, um, I do want to touch on that very heavily because I think sound design was the best part of this game for sure. Um, I Seriously, I think that the best game designers know that sound design matters so much. You know, Lucas Pope knows that. Um, Davey Reedon knows that, right? Like, yeah. people just understand that sound design is so important. And I think, like, they spent, they clearly spent a lot of time to, like, make sure that things were really solid. Um, the voice acting, um, well, actually, more so than anything, it's it's the editing with some of those scary moments. I actually do have an audio clip I have queued up here that I do want to play. It's just um, a quick moment in the game where one of your friends, Ren, gets possessed, and what he what it sounds like when you break his possession and kind of go through that, and the ghosts are talking too. So listen up, everybody. It's spooky season. <laughs> Jesus, Ren, are, are you? Oh, God. Talk through child. Feels stretched. Better. No. Jonas, where did you- We are abounding. Not one. One. Silly. here and we just want to go home. Home. Kamina. We will go home. All five of us. Leave. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that the, sound design is really solid. The, that really, the possession sound design really stood out to me and like you can mm -hmm. very, you can really hear the like clear like kind of suffering and the discomfort that they're experiencing that moment, which I thought was really well done. And yeah. I know you, you can kind of disagree on this, but I thought this voice acting for the, for the most part, I thought the voice acting was really good. Uh, I know you're going to bring this up and I do Nitpicks. agree that <laughs> Ren did have a few moments that delivery was really flat. Like for example, there was one in particular that stood out to me. I remember where I think it's when they were devising their plan and it's just like, I'll see you at the shelter type of thing. Uh, their final plan to like <laughs> yeah. get out of the, um, get out of the time loop and on that note <laughs> the ghost had a lot of really random like voice acting kind of like quips that sounded really cool and profound but i couldn't like make any sense of like there was one where they're just like that old woman was young once and like <laughs> that sounds really cool but like, i'm not sure what they're actually trying to say yeah and yeah. i couldn't well, figure it out in the context of the story in the moment in that moment and there's another one where they're just like all oh, the outs and free and like a play on the word uh oxen free of the game name obviously i'm just like i still haven't really quite personally figure out what the game title is supposed to uh mean so yeah yeah that was no. the, the the yeah 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 yeah. Well, it's it's I just love the multi-layered like effects of like the ghosts that are all like one big kind of entity that are yeah, talking yeah, yeah. over each other. Um over And I love how static. kind of the way they communicated too. They would like have it's like what Bumblebee would do in Transformers where they like right. would take various like 
shuffle very quickly through radio stations to form their senses together. Yeah, and yeah. I loved that. I that was awesome. Yeah, that was how that I, I really enjoyed that too. And just the layering of music on top of scary voices, on top of moaning, on top of like scared teenagers kind of freaking yeah. out. Yeah. Um, that was just really cool. So that's my thing for sound design. I think we got to move on uh, to. Uh, NPC award. NPC award, baby. Yeah. Uh, I'll go first. I don't mind. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, mine was Jonas. Um, <laughs> I, I just love Jonas. I feel like he's kind of the one that has like the most sense throughout the game. He does. And he's like, like when he calls out Ren for basically being like a dumbass and taking like too many edibles, he's like, <laughs> yeah, like you're kind of right, honestly. Like, yeah. like Ren for a con- like Ren just, Ren just basically keeps taking edibles throughout the whole game. Yeah, and it's just like consistently tripping when everyone's already just tripping out like organically. <laughs> <laughs> Organic so I was just tripping. I felt like he was kind of like the one like the head of reason, which I liked uh, with Alex as well. And I kind of love just like some of his lines like he, he really played off kind of the voice actor really brought in well kind of the tone and kind of uncomfort you have with being the new guy. In yeah. the in a group like there's one line that really stood out to me too where they're kind of like bickering and arguing when they're first driving on the beach when everything before like all the supernatural events start unfolding and they're talking about what they're going to do at the beach and how that's going to be a good time and arguing with like Clarissa and then Jonas is like uh, just the beach and a beer will be good for me yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's just I, like I a, the he, he plays that he played that off very well in my opinion and it kind of reminded me of like times in college um, or like high school and we did a new group of friends and it'd be like the new guy there in that moment or maybe only like one person and you're kind of like navigating the group and seeing people's difference um like how do you how to present yourself in that group and exactly i, I enjoyed seeing like the kind of flat jonas in the beginning and seeing his personality show throughout the story as it went on my favorite jonas line is when they're playing truth or slap at the beach and then, like, the game gets a little too intense. And he goes, well, I don't know about you guys, but I'd pretty much rather be doing anything else <laughs> than playing this game. It's, <laughs> like, so totally, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, Jonas is kind of actually the voice of reason in this whole entire group. Yeah, you know? and, seriously. And, yeah, his, his, I, I think he's my, probably my favorite character for sure. Um, his dialogue is probably number two compared to Alex for, like, how many, like, just lines that he delivers. And you hear his voice quite a bit throughout the story because you're yeah. with him so much, at least in the playthrough that I did. And um, yeah, Jonas is kind of the most makes sense guy who's just trying to like make sure that just we're trying to not die. Yeah, yeah, just trying to not die. And you know, it's you always need that in a scary game, right? Yeah. Or a scary anything scary. So yeah, my my NPC award is actually going to be a curveball. I don't know if you're going to expect this one. The ghosts oh. of the USS Kanaloa. Yep, that's the NPC award. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, I'm going to give this one to the ghosts. I know it's a sleeper pick. I don't think people typically pick this for their NPC award because I don't really consider them to be an NPC. I think people probably go for the Jonas, the Clarissa, the Nona. Um, but, man, they were crazy. I mean, they the story wouldn't happen without them. I mean, those guys were crazier than crazy. They are possessing bodies. They made you make all these decisions. I mean, like, I love those guys. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be a story without those ghosts. So, yeah. Uh, no, the, award. And they just kind of, the quips they have and the tone, they, they did it beautifully that they created yeah. within the game. And it, it sucks too. I mean, they really did have a very, very bad fate. I mean, basically. Oh, their life have, sucked. Yeah. yeah basically, got shut. They, they got shot they're from actually the not fire. even dead, technically. They got yeah. like transported to another dimension. realm because from the experimental nuclear core of the sub, and they're just like suffering, basically. Yeah. They basically like, we're sitting on a, an experimental sub, got hit with friendly fire, 
yeah. and sent to like purgatory for eternity until somebody would discover like their radio station and tap into them. And they just, you know, honestly, when they were trying to possess some bodies and get out, like, I was like, Hey, like, come. You, you do you. Chief. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you may not like it, but this is what optimal looks like. <laughs> this is peak performance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Alrighty. Uh, right. Companion piece laid on me, baby. Oh dude. Okay. Okay. So companion piece pick. Um, this one actually took me a while to settle on and I'm picking it for just a couple of reasons. Okay, I am picking uh, one of my favorite podcasts. Welcome to Night Vale. Okay, now for anyone raved about that for years. Yeah, I've loved, I've loved, I've been listening to this podcast for four years. I've heard every episode. I'm actually currently reading their first novel, also titled Welcome to Night Vale, which is why it's kind of on my mind. Um, For anybody that is a fan of mixing humor and horror and weird fiction and the small townliness of this vibe that that kind of is the backdrop for Oxenfree, listen to Welcome to Night Vale. It's a fiction podcast that takes place um, in the form of radio public, public radio news updates in a small desert town of Night Vale. Um, it's spooky, it's a little scary, but it's also funny. Um, and it has like an undercurrent of like real solid um, small townsliness um, with, with a little bit of that horror element. So um, I'm reading their first novel. I love it so far. And if you're into podcasts, which if you're listening to this, you probably are into podcasts, just go ahead and go to your podcast player and type in Welcome to Night Vale and you'll find it. And stop listening to all those true crime podcasts because there's too many, okay? <laughs> you want to listen to the cool stuff. Or just listen to Thanks for Playing on Repeat. Or listen to all of our episodes, yeah. Why not? Nonstop. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what's your, what's, your, <laughs> what's your companion piece pick? Uh, mine was Stranger Things, actually. Uh, it's all just, coming. Just because I... I think Stranger Things came out actually right around the time this did, maybe like a little bit before it. Um, and I, I think I had just watched Stranger Things before I started playing Oxenfree. And I was just immediately like got Stranger Things vibes from it, kind of like with the supernatural ho- horror-ish elements, you know, not like pure horror, but enough to like make you uneasy. And it just instantly kind of brought that connection to me. Um, and right. I've just always kind of attached it to, even though it's like set in totally different time zones, I've always kind of just gave it this connection, whether it's deserved or not. I don't know, but just just reminds me of it every time. Yeah. Uh, Moving on, moving on, moving on. Uh, (laughs) Favorite moment, Lucas. Okay. Okay. I'll go quick on this one. Yeah. The very ending where you teleport as Alex to the past to see other instances of yourself through like the mirrors and the reflections. That was dope. That was awesome that was because dope. the seeds that were planted kind of throughout the game came came to fruition and you got to make, and you were making a decision on something at the same time. Um, you were making a dialogue choice while you were time looping back. That was really, really cool. And it kind of gives you this like weird cause effect loop where you're like, oh shit, what, what came first? Right, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Like this is a mind, this is a little bit of a mind fuck here. Um, that was that was a really really cool moment. That's my favorite moment for sure. And kind of going off that too, there's a cool thing too where I know you play on Xbox, so you and I have had this with me. But um, I, had, I had a friend that played this game on PC as well that I have added on Steam, and his tag, like his gamer tag, is the one that would show up for me in the mirrors and in the reflections. Oh, okay, okay. So Mine I, like, was connected, just and I got his choices instead. So that was that's cool. cool. That's yeah, yeah, really yeah. cool. Okay. Uh, my favorite moment though is actually the first ending you get, because that's also when barring like the initial like getting into the game that the hook. That's when I was like 
fell in love with the game because I was instantly wanting to play it again. And once I realized like the time loop was still going, and I didn't really get that ending. Um, and I've played through this game four times now. Actually, more because I know I played through this game with some friends in college. Uh, we'd have like game nights where we'd play through like Telltale games or this. Wow, throwback! Shoutouts to wow. Jill and Nicole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Every time I've played through this game, I've enjoyed it, and I've always been so enthralled by the different dialogue options you can get, and I just think it's such a good case study in how you can do good storytelling and branching dialogue in a video game. Yeah. So, awesome, man. All right, All right moving final, on. Nit- final bit, nitpicks. Nit-picks. I'll go first. Yeah, go for it. I'm sure I have less than you. <laughs> um, so there's two big things for me. One, the dialogue or not excuse me the dialogue the walking can be kind of slow at times which you pointed out in the beginning of this podcast and i i read into that a little bit actually i was kind of curious there were some other people were complaining about that as well and i think the reason they do that is they'll intentionally slow you down by design when there's still dialogue they need to shuffle through in that area i get and then once that dialogue gets through you can then start running or whatever and on the dialogue note there was one weak part or kind of sometimes frustrating part about the dialogue where Let's say you're having like a kind of maybe important mid-conversation with Jonas about like your past or something that could potentially affect your guys' relationship. If you examine a rock that's like on the side of the road or something or like examine a piece of equipment that's left over or something that's going through the time rift, it instantly cuts that dialogue off. And I did that a couple of times on accident where I would interrupt dialogue that seemed kind of important. And I was like, ah, shit, that's kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah. That happened to me too. Yeah. I guess um, my nitpicks are a little more extensive than yours. Um, and it, it really is, um, I, I won't get too high level cause I think I already touched on a lot of that stuff, but one of my nitpicks is actually a little bit in the voice acting. Um, you brought up an example, like with Ren, there's actually, I think numerous examples where something that was actually a very serious situation, like a friend getting possessed in the middle of a dark forest while ghosts are yelling at you is undercut by like a joke. Or like, yeah. a, oh, that was weird, huh, guys? Like, <laughs> and it just takes you completely out of, like, the yeah. mood in the moment. Especially, like, it was genuinely scary. Like, they had me on the hook with something, like, very urgent, very scary. And then a character just is like, oh, I don't want to go through that again. Or like, you know, not not, yeah. I'm not not verbatim, but basically saying things like that. And it's like, dog, show some urgency. Like, show some yeah, fear. Yeah. So I could feel some fear. Um, and... You know, I, I think like at the end of the day, um, I, I don't feel a lot of emotional weight to a lot of the endings or what could be a lot of the endings. I, I don't feel like I'm maybe it warrants, you know, three or five playthroughs before you actually start feeling a lot of attachment to the characters. But in one full playthrough, I don't think there is a lot of emotional attachment to the characters, except for like Jonas and, and Alex, because uh, you spend so much time with them. But like Nona, Ren, and Clarissa are kind of cookie cutter, in my opinion. Um, and I don't know if that's by design or you're meant to get more, you, you could have more screen time with them later and dive into that. But that's just uh, one of my nitpicks is on, on one singular playthrough, that's what you end up feeling. Right on, baby. So uh, real quick, I just want to mention some of the other games this developer has made. Um, had it pulled after up. Party? They made After Party. Yeah. And actually, so I played After Party. I was incredibly excited for After Party because of how much I liked this game. 
I did not like Afterburner yeah. very much. A lot of people, a lot of people, basically feel the urge to compare it to Oxenfree. And I mean, how can you not, right? Like, yeah, it's a next major it's, release. It's it's an next major walkie talkie game, right? It's set in hell, themed in a college town where the player navigates conversations. You outdrink Satan, and you even return two best friends from the afterlife. Um, but yeah, I have heard a lot of criticism about the game. As cool as that setup is, um, I think uh, yeah, people people weren't that into it. Yeah, and then they've also yeah. released a they released a tie-in like I think it was an ARG, but also a like on your phone game with Mr. Robot, which is a TV show starring Rami Malek, basically like schizo vigilante software engineer. Look it up if you want. Um, and then they recently this year released a game called Next Stop Nowhere, which is like a looks like um, some sort of Science, futuristic sci-fi science fiction story-driven road trip game. adventure. <laughs> um, but it's only on the iOS and the Mac operating systems, unfortunately. So I haven't had the chance to check it out yet, but it looks it might be worth giving a playthrough if it's not too expensive. Um, yeah. But I, while I was a little upset with how After Party was for me personally, um, I, I would definitely still play whatever these guys come out in the future, come out with in the future that's easily commercially available. Right. Because I'm still a big fan of what they've done and their take on um, storytelling and yeah. gameplay. And- and for anybody out there, um, and I, I just moving on to final conclusive thoughts, if we're cool with that. Um, I think for anybody that's into this game, I mean, check out the Walking Dead games, check out Firewatch, check out Night in the Woods. These are great story-driven um, picks for you that I think everybody would pretty much enjoy. Especially, this actually reminds me a lot of Night in the Woods. I'm not sure if you've played that one, Matt. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it reminded me a that's lot a of that one. one. As well, yeah. yeah, and and I don't, you know, for me, I don't, I don't like to hate on on people's creation. I don't want to hit on people's video games. I, I hate on a lot of like movies and TV and, and like music and stuff. But I don't, I hate hating on video games. I, I want to love every single game I play. Um, but to be honest, I just, I just didn't like this one as much as I thought I would. And I, I think it's the low degree of interactivity with the actual gameplay that kills me because you're, like you said, there's only four mechanics. It's like tuning to radio stations, pushing one of three buttons, moving, and then examining like rocks and. But you like the beginner's guide, right? Well, I'd almost argue gu- this game okay. has more interaction than the beginner's guide. The beginner's guide, here's my counter. I knew you'd say that, so here's my counter argument. The beginner's guide is more of an avant-garde experimental video game, so that's why I like it. Sure. Avant-garde. Look it up if you don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Final my thoughts. my my final thoughts. Um, I think it's an awesome game. Um, I think it's a really cool case study on, you know, the way how in depth you can use how in depth you can be using storytelling as a gameplay device, and I think it's awesome if you like games like Telltale, like Detroit Become Human, um, the Telltale genre like studio games like Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us. Uh, I think you'll love this game, and I don't. I want to clarify. I'm not hating on like the Telltale games. I still think they tell awesome stories, regardless of how much free will they actually give you but i think this game is uh just awesome in every way personally awesome so awesome, man all right what are we giving it all right and everyone so, this is where we give our ratings out of 10 and lucas and i added up to be out of 20 lucas and i have not discussed our ratings with one another yet so this will be the first time of each of us hearing our ratings yeah and that that whatever the score is out of 20 is the actual true sanctioned rating for the game it's actually going to show up on wikipedia on the right side yeah i'll add it in yeah we'll add it in we'll add it in all right so out of 10 what are you giving this game matt on go three two one go seven nine all right i thought you were gonna give it a six 
I was, I was, I was going to give it a six, but I, I, I think six warrants like a game that people don't need to play. But I think that people should play Oxen Free. Okay. I don't, I, okay. I, I don't think it's a game. It's not a Lucas game, but I don't think it's a bad game. Uh, I wanna, I wanna reiterate that. I think like there's parts of it that are very. That's solid. like how I was with Killer, Killer Seven. Killer Seven, basically. yeah. Yeah, and I get it. I get it. So yeah. I gave it a seven. You gave it a nine. That puts it at a sixteen. Uh, what zone does that put this in, Matt? That puts us in the Edgar zone. All right, hey, the Edgar zone is the Ed- Edgar <laughs> zone is a good zone to be in, dude. The Eddie, the Edgar zone, great zone to be in. Um, all right, man. Anything else you want to bring up today? No, I'm I'm good. You know, this is the uh, second game in our spooky suite of video games for this October. It is the first October of this podcast, and I'm glad it was it was two games that weren't pure form horror games. I think that's pretty in line with with our mission <laughs> with the kind of <laughs> games that we pick. We picked yeah. Killer Seven and we picked Oxenfree, both which were are kind of indirect ancillary horror scary games. Yes. Um, that are very unique and super super different. So I'm glad that we picked these two for our October. Right on, baby. All right. Well, everyone, that's all we got today. Uh, if you're interested in interacting with the podcast on the internet or perhaps <laughs> emailing us, you can reach us via email at thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com. And you can also find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TFPS. No, TFP podcast. Podcasts. TFP podcasts. That's TFP podcasts with an S at the end on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you had so much fun hanging out with Matt, the better looking of the two hosts, you can find yep. me on Twitter at Good Idea Matthew and on Twitch.tv at Good Idea Matt. Yep. And if you're interested in hanging out with uh, Lucas, the less good looking of the two, um, you could hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> and twitch um at good idea good idea lucas um you could also go to the willamette valley shout out to corvallis oregon the town that i grew up in and tune into my radio station 88.3 where you can discover some ghosts sounds like fun huh matt damn you didn't even fight back on the on the looks thing that's crazy (laughs) no i just i'll accept it i'll accept it all right everyone this has been thanks for playing Catch you next time. Skipping them up. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch Red Circle.